After God saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, Moses and the Israelites rejoiced and sang songs of praise and worship to the Lord. Then Miriam the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women followed her with tambourines and dancing. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he is hurled into the sea. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they travelled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them, and put them to the test. He said, If you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elim, where there were twelve springs and seventy palm trees, and they camped there near the water. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat round pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, At twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. The Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword.
Thank you. Warm welcome to you guys too, and a, a warm welcome to everyone joining us online. Why don't we welcome our brothers and sisters in Cambridge, in London, in Leicester. Great to be with you. And great to be sharing with you part five of this series, looking at the life of Moses. And today I want to talk about the subject of how can we be people who encounter God in tough times? Now, how can we be a people who our tough times become places where we experience God in new ways? Now, I, I would imagine for all of us, where, wherever you are today, that if you look back over the last few months or years, that tough times will have come in different shapes and sizes. You know, some of them are quite small. You know, in my life, I, I think of them as kind of sprouts and sports. Some of them, you know, life throws up nasty little green things that land on your plate and you kinda, you've just got to put up with it, you've just got to go through it. But also, if you're like me, sport is one of those things that just seems to be a constant tough time. Um, particularly if your boss supports a certain team from Manchester called City who seem to win everything. And if you, like me, support a team who can't get back in the Premier League. And in fact, recently we determined uh, the fourth most depressing team to support anywhere in the country. Okay, tough times, wouldn't you agree? Okay, but I'm sure many of you think, no, that's not a tough time. Actually, if you know what I've gone through through the last few years or the last few months or actually what I'm going through right now, that's a tough time. And I know many of you right now, you'll be in the middle of some of the most challenging things that life can throw at us, whether it's unemployment or sudden sickness or breakdown in relationships. And I'm sure actually all of us at some time in our lives have experienced tough times. Well, that, that's where we come to in the, the life, the history of the life of the people of Israel and Moses. They've reached some new tough times. Now, you would think they've just come out of slavery. You would think, surely now everything's going to be easy and hunky-dory, happy ever after. Not the case. They're coming to a few chapters now, and I'd encourage you to read it for yourself in your own time, where we see them encounter some incredible challenges. They're, they're hungry to the point of starvation. They're thirsty to the point of death. They experience a disappointment to the point of bitterness and unfair attacks coming against them. But what we actually see in that is we see two reactions. We see most of the people of Israel reacting one way, and then we see Moses react to the same circumstances in a different way from them. They experience the same God, the same miracles, and yet Moses presses on to new encounters with God, whereas many of the people of Israel seem stuck in a cycle. Now, I don't know about you, I want to be like Moses. I want to be like someone who makes the most of these seasons. And I, I believe God has two things for us today. The first thing I think he wants to say to you and me that when times are tough, God, if we will turn to him, he will come through for us. He will prove he can be everything you need him to be, whatever the circumstances are. He is good to his word and he's true to his promise. But I think there's a second thing God wants to teach, and he's been teaching me over many years, is that those times can be times when if we turn to him, we learn things about God we would never otherwise learn. And you actually come through a season where through lived experience, not through theory, lived experience in the realities of everyday life, you realize 
God really is who he says he is. And it gives you a faith and a confidence for the tough times that lie ahead. How, how many of you would like more of that? Yeah, me, me too. It's like, God, God, help me learn how to encounter you in tough times, how to meet you in new ways. So we're going to look at three ways in which the, the, the people of Israel encountered God in tough times. Here we go. Number one, when life feels bitter, God is our healer. Why don't you say that with me? When life is bitter, God is your healer. Let, let me remind you, the, the Israelites come through the waters of the Red Sea and then they go three days into the desert. Now, I'm sure if you've ever been hot, you'll know the thing you want more than anything else is a drink of water. For three days, they have no water. And then they come to a place where there is water, they drink it, but the water is bitter. In other words, what, what the Bible describes it as the place of Marah. Now, what, what is Marah for you and me? It's a place of unexpected, unwanted circumstances where the natural response to that situation is for a kind of bitterness towards God to develop in our hearts if we're not careful. Now, I want to say as an aside here, I don't believe God sends difficult times. We live in a fallen world. Tough times happen to all of us. God is a good God. But he can use tough times to teach us things about himself. Now, we notice immediately this contrast between the people of Israel and Moses. How, how do the, the one if you noticed in the reading, the, the people of Israel have a kind of habitual response to difficulties. And the, the writer puts in a couple of ways. He says they grumble, they moan, and they complain. Basically, they have a serious case of the poms. Do you know the poms are? The poor old me's. Read it? Did you hear what they said? Oh, if only we could be back in Egypt, brackets where we were slaves, eating the food we eat, used to eat there and doing one sitting by pots full of meat. If only we could be there. Uh, one writer said, the problem with grumbling is it magnifies what is past and it vilifies what is present. What if you have experienced that? You come out of, of a, a weekend service like, like the Israelites did out of uh, the Red Sea. You've got your tambourine in your hand. You get in your car. God is good. It's victorious. We're going to win. Nothing can stop me. I'm unstoppable. Monday morning, something goes wrong. Anyone ever experienced that? Is that just me? Now, people of Israel, their response is a habitual grumbling and moaning about it. But I want you to see something that's very important. This grumbling is a natural response, but actually it's a symptom of a deeper, more serious condition of the heart. This passage and, and another one that's in this section is commented a lot on in the New Testament, actually also in the Psalms, but in the New Testament, where writers look back to the people of Israel and they say, what do we learn from their habitual moaning? And the writer to Hebrews, he says this, he says, take care, brothers and sisters, that there not be in any one of us a wicked, unbelieving heart which refuses to trust and rely on the Lord, a heart that turns away from the living God. You know, when you face a marrow, when you face a place of bitterness, it's also a place of danger for the long-term condition of our hearts. And I want to say to all of us today, where, wherever we are, let's not stay at Marah. I, I don't want to minimize the challenging times some of us will be going through, but let's not stay in that place of bitterness and that place of unbelief about who God is. Let's be like Moses. Did you see what Moses did? Same circumstances. What does Moses do? 
We read in verse 25, it says, Then Moses cried out to the Lord. Say, cry out. I'm sure he experienced the same desperation and fears as the rest of the people did. But his response was not to moan, it was to cry out to God. And then you see this beautiful phrase. It says, the Lord, Yahweh, showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water becomes fit to drink. And the Lord declares one of his, his names, I am the Lord who heals you. And notice this following up. Then they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. Do you know, I want to say to us today, people of Kingsgate, there is an Elim beyond Marah. And if you will allow Jesus to show you the wood, if you will. If you see when, when he says there that the, the Lord showed him a piece of wood thrown into to the water and the bitter water became sweet, that is a prefiguring, a looking ahead to Jesus on the cross. It's almost like we're learning here from the Old Testament, look to the cross. Look what Jesus accomplished for you and me on the cross. I, I believe that's a reference, could be to Isaiah 53. With this Isaiah talking about Jesus on the cross, he says, Surely Jesus took up our pain and bore our suffering. That's what Jesus wants to do for our marrow. He was pierced for our transgressions, He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace, wholeness, well being was on Him, and by His wounds we are healed. In other words, when we get to a place of bitterness, and it happens to all of us at some point. Don't stay there. Invite the Father to show you what Jesus has borne for you and I on the cross. Let him draw near in that place of comfort and healing. And he will actually bring you to a new place over time, a place of Elim, where there's refreshing, where there's new springs. You know, some of you will, will know my story. Uh, I've had my share, like many of you had, of places of marrow, places of bitterness. Uh, and probably the biggest for me was when I was 11. My dad was killed in a, a car accident. And I, much of my teenage years was spent in a, a kind of a, a bitterness that really threatened to poison the rest of my life. Now, I became a Christian at 17. And over a period of years, it was like I began to realize that when Jesus went to the cross, he took my pain too. And that wasn't just my physical pain. It was a sense of abandonment, the sense of loss that I felt back then as an 11-year-old. And even more than that, Jesus started to show me how his death on the cross was meant not only to take my pain, but to bring me to the Father. And I started to realize, not by theory, but by experience, that I have a heavenly Father, just as you have, who's not distant, he's near, he's good, he's kind. And you know what? He's an upgrade on any earthly father, whatever they can be like. I want to say to us, Kingsgate, there is an Elim beyond Marah. If you will bring your bitterness and your pain to Jesus and you will let him heal it, maybe not in an instant, but over time, he will bring you to a place of restoration. And you know, for me, what's slightly strange, I don't thank God that my dad died when I was little, but I do thank God for what I've learned about him because of that, that I know I've encountered him in ways that maybe I'd have had to wait years for because he allowed me to go through that and then taught me through the cross who he really is. If you're going through a time of bitterness, let the Lord be your healer. Number two, 
When you experience lack, he's our provider. When we experience lack, he's our provider. Now, I wonder how many of you have ever had a time in your life where you've experienced a sense of lack materially. You know, I've had times of unemployment, times where we've been wondering what to do with our money. Do we spend it on food? Do we spend it on a coffee out? Or do we actually put some petrol in the car? And I would imagine all of you, maybe even now, you're experiencing what it is like to be in a time of lack. Now, that's where the people of Israel were. As they came out of Elim, they end up actually back in the wilderness. There's nothing to eat. The place is dry. It's sand everywhere. And they become hungry. Really, really hungry. Now, I'd like to think by this case that they'd have realized when you've got a problem, what should you do? Go to God. Got a God who's revealing himself to us as the one who's able to help us, but they don't. They go back into that cycle of moaning, particularly going, oh, if only we were back in Egypt. Do you know, it's often been, been said to me, um, as people hear my accent, observe my flat cap, see my love of Yorkshire puddings, uh, they'll say to me, Simon, you know, you can take the man out of Yorkshire, but you just can't seem to get Yorkshire out of the man. Now, I think that's what God is doing here with the people of Israel. He has taken them out of Egypt. They are no longer slaves living under a despotic ruler. They are now out from there. That ruler's gone. They're under a good father. They're under a Lord who wants to provide for their needs. But it's now like God is trying to teach them. I want to show you. I want to show you people of Israel. I want to show you people of Kingsgate that you can trust me for your material provision. Not just for your eternal salvation, but for your material provision day by day and week by week. You know, there's a a revelation. We, we, We see here how Moses doesn't go grumbling. He goes to God. And God says to him, Chapter 16, verse 12, he says, I've heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you'll be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. Now there's that phrase again, the Lord your God, Yahweh. The one who wants to be everything we need him to be, when we need him to be it for us. And and Abraham, he'd picked this up years and years before, and he added words on. So we have in, in Genesis 22:14, he calls him Yahweh Yireh or Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord, my provider. Do you know, we see here what Jehovah Jireh can do. Look at, look at the extent of his provision. Re, kind of in your mind, imagine yourself, people of Israel, there's about a million of you at least. You're in the middle of the desert. There's no provision for tens of miles around. Uh, there's nothing, and God says you're going to eat, and you're going to eat well. Now, what are you thinking? Are you thinking, how on earth is he going to do it? That evening, we have quail mageddon. My apologies to the vegans in the church, but we have quail mageddon, where God organizes somehow for something like three million little birds, all at the same time, all in the same place, to descend on the people of Israel. I'd love to have been there watching these, these quails dive bombing into that camp. Moses just standing there going, oh my word, look at what Jehovah Jireh can do. Do you know, we have a God who's good at suddenness. He can suddenly break through in your life and my life with a sudden breakthrough of extraordinary provision. He's the God of quail Mageddon. But he's also the God of daily manna. And if you, if you caught what it said in the reading, look, look what it says. Remember, they're in the desert. For 
this period of time, God provides for them. Catch his detail. This is for 40 years, 52 weeks a year. He does this every single week. For five days, they have just exactly what they need. And God says to them, just get what you need. Don't get more than that. And if they get more than they need, what happens to it the next morning? It's full of maggots. On day six, God provides twice as much as they need. And it lasts into day seven where you don't go and get anything. Now, how many of you think God is trying to teach them and us, you can trust me. If you do it my way, I will provide for you, not so much in the massive suddenly, but in the daily, faithful, reliable provision of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who loves you and me and wants to provide for our material need. But here's, here's the key. We have to do it his way. All of this is supernatural provision. Did you notice that? It's not normal to have three million quail land on your head. Okay, it's not normal to have that provision that's there one day and gone the next day. It's supernatural provision. God's saying, I want you to learn to trust me and you need to do it my way. Did you notice some of the people of Israel were pushing it all the time? We'll, we'll keep more than we need. It turns to maggots. We'll go out on the Sunday. You didn't need to. It's already there for you. And it's back to that, that um, signpost we saw a few weeks ago. Yahweh or my way. Which way, which way do you want to go? You trust him? Or not? Do you know, I, I, I remember many, many years ago, um, my wife and I, I was teaching at the time. We'd been, faith, we'd been taught to tithe. We'd started tithing. God's blessing was coming upon our finances. And then we decided we knew better than God. And we decided what we'd do with the tithe was we wouldn't bring it to the Lord at the start of the month. We'd protect it in our bank account. We'd, we'd guard it there. We'd keep it. We'd get the interest for it. Then at the end of the month, we'd return it to the Lord. Bingo, everyone's a winner. Now, can you guess what happened? It was the first month in years where we had month left at the end of the money. And we'd had years of that never, ever happening to us. And it was like, there was no change in our giving. There was no change in our expenses. Yet somehow, because we'd taken ourselves back into Egypt and we said, let's do it our way. Let's live by the principles of this world's economy. And God was going, don't do it. Do it my way. Be under the blessing. Be under the favor that I want to give to you. Do you know, our experience has been every time, and I mean every time, you do it God's way, you come out blessed. You come out provided for. Sometimes you've got to do it through discipline. Sometimes you've got it through just a choice of the will. But I guarantee you, when you go His way, He will provide for your every need. And the key is, when you're in a time of lack, go to God. He's your provider. And then third, so not only do we see in tough times, when, when it feels like a time of bitterness, he's our healer. When it's a time of lack, he's our provider. Third, when life feels like a battle, he's our victory. In the second half of chapter 17 in Exodus, we see the people of Israel experience an incredible, a different type of tough time where suddenly they're attacked by a tribe called the Amalekites. Now, looking back on this story, uh, Moses describes it this way. He says, Never forget what the Amalekites did to you as you came from Egypt. They attacked you when you were exhausted and weary, and they struck down those who were struggling behind. They had no fear of God. I wonder if you've ever felt like that. Just like circumstances were completely against you. Like 
here am I, I'm, I'm exhausted, I'm weary, and then suddenly out of nowhere, all of this stuff, all of these problems are happening. It's like, God, what are you doing? Why, why are you letting these things happen to me? I, I, I wonder if you've ever experienced that where it feels like life is just one battle after another. Well, well, what do we do? How do we handle that type of tough time? Well, do you know the first thing we need to know is it's normal. Do I think we sometimes think that when you become a Christian, everything will be easy? I used to think that. And actually, I found when I became a Christian, it was like things seemed to get tougher. It was like there were bigger mountains to climb and bigger problems to handle. You know, just because you've become a Christian doesn't guarantee everything will now be easy. It's like the, the Israelites said, come out of Egypt. Pharaoh was dead, and yet they were straight into tough times. You and I, we have an enemy. He doesn't like us. And I think sometimes our first reaction to tough times ought to be, ah, lift your eyebrow. I'm not surprised. There is a battle on. And sometimes I get attacked, not because I'm doing things wrong, but because I'm doing things right, and I've got a foe. So I want to encourage you, don't, don't be surprised when tough time comes. But then, do what Moses did. Did, did you notice? How, how does Moses respond? He takes hold of the situation. Now, I know there are times, as we saw last week, there are times when it's right to stand still and do nothing. Let, let God have the victory. But you know, there are, I believe there are more times when God is saying to us, particularly where you feel like everything's against you and the, te the temptation is to act like a victim, to say, no, there are things I can do here. There are things I can lay hold of. And notice what Moses does. He must have prayed, but he immediately goes to action. He says, Joshua, get down there, get an army together, go and fight. I'm going to go up on the hill. I'm going to stand up there with Moses, sorry, with Aaron and her. They're going to lift up my arms. I'm going to hold the rod of God, which has been our declaration of victory. And I'm going to pray for you. And we're going to go for it until the battle is won. And did you notice that? I Listen to this, verse 11. This is amazing to me. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites are winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites are winning. Do you know, there are times in our battles, when you and I, we play a part in the victory of that battle. God has given you an authority. He's given you things to do. But the key here is don't do it on your own. Moses called to other people. Joshua called to other people. Aaron and her called to other people. It was like, we don't want to do this on our own. We need to call other people in. And sometimes we lose battles because we do them on our own. But this is, I don't believe this is the most important thing in this story. I wonder what Moses' attention was on. He's up on the hill. He's holding the rod of God in his hand, which he'd, he'd used as, as God had done amazing things in Egypt, crossing the Red Sea. I wonder what, what he was, what was his focus on? What was he praying for and about for those hours? We have a clue. Verse 15, Moses says this after the battle has won. He says, Moses built an altar there and he named it Yahweh Nissi. Or in other words, the Lord is my banner or the Lord is my victory. Now, what's Moses doing? When he names God, the Lord is my banner, please don't think fuzzy felt. Okay, please don't think those rather pretty things that you see in certain places. This is an emblem for battle. What he's saying is, 
Get your eyes on the God who is the undefeated God. You know, think of when uh, soldiers go into battle and they use some kind of emblem to send them in. Do you know what that emblem says? It says, remember, we've won a lot of battles already. We're part of a troop who've had faith and they've overcome some things. We're also, we're not on our own. We stand under the authority, and for us it's Jesus, of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the maker of heaven and earth, who right now is seated at the right hand of the Father, far above all rule and authority and dominion and power. He's the victorious one. He's the King. And I believe what, what Moses is trying to teach us is, when you're in a battle, get your eyes on the King. And you know, you're in a better place than Moses, because we've got Jesus. Do you know, Jesus has never, ever lost a battle. Have you thought about that? He is the completely undefeated one. He's never even been fought to a standstill. He's never needed a super over to determine the outcome of the battle. He is, has won, he is winning, and he will win. We've seen the end. We know who wins the battle, and it's Jesus he has been victorious, he is victorious, and he will be victorious. Do you know, that, that I believe is the key. I don't think there's anything more important that I've said to you today, that when you're in a tough time, get your eyes on Jesus. Get your eyes off yourself and get your eyes onto him. Because he is the one who wants to be, to you and to me, everything that you and I need him to be. And you know, when we do what Moses did, in some ways it's very simple, cry to God. That's all he did. He prayed. He went to God. When we do that, I believe like Moses, you'll find these two things. And this is my prayer for you, that first you will find Jesus is sufficient in your circumstances. And that whatever you're going through now, go, I want to say to you again, go to him again today. Don't, don't let circumstances turn you away to the moaning and the grumbling Go back to Jesus. And for some of you, you need to keep going to him every single day. Like, like the Israelites going out to get manna. Go and keep going. But get your eyes on him. Get hold of passages of scripture, songs that you can sing that remind you he is the king. And I believe you'll find him in new ways. But you know, I think the other thing is I think you'll come to experience God not theoretically, but by lived experience, that he is able and he is good and he is powerful and he will sustain you through and he will give you new faith for the tough times that will come ahead. Let me pray. Thank you, Father. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you've made promises to us that whenever we're in tough times, we are never, ever on our own. Thank you that you're always with us and you're always for us. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would prove yourself to everyone here that you are able to heal every bitterness, to make it sweet. You are able to supply into our situations as we walk in obedience with you and that you are the Lord, our victory, that no matter how tough our opponents and our enemies they will be defeated, they have been defeated, and we can live as victors in Jesus' name. If you agree with that, say aloud, amen.